0: everyone and welcome to the heart of sports with jason springer and jeff cohen powered by elec 825 we are thrilled to join you on wwdb 860 am and the 97.5 network ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports jeff people are going back to stadiums this week uh normalcy
1: Normalcy. i mean have you watched any of the spring training games yeah of course it's it's (laughs) so is that jeff it it is so much fun to just kind of it's not just seeing the fans there, it's hearing that sound in the background. Like you can't recreate recreate that sound, just the buzz. Like I've heard people say, like I have heard players say the sound they miss most. I think Girardi said it too, that they miss like the vendors. They miss people yelling peanuts and stuff like that. And you really do, that's what baseball
0: is. Look, that's the feel of the game. And, and that's what'll start to come back as we go forward. You know, let we'll get to baseball in a little bit. We've got Tom housenick of the morning call about 410 to talk some baseball with us. 435 ESPN Seth Greenberg will do some college basketball talk and coaches versus cancer. Jeff, you know how much we'd like to do and support their efforts. Mm-hmm. Why don't we start with a little and maybe we can talk a little Michigan basketball while we got them? yeah sure why not yeah right on that nope let's talk a little flyers after the win last night they will welcome fans back on sunday when they come back home to the wells fargo center on sunday night they are now in a third place tie with boston after their win last night against the 12, five and three on the season did you watch that game last night
1: you know, it. I turned it off for a while. It went 3 nothing, and I was like, oh, I'm going to turn it off for a while. Turn wait, it wait, back it on. Went, I was like, whoa, look at this. It went 3 nothing
0: four minutes into the game.
1: I know. And then I was like, all right, this is going to be one of those bad nights. They're going to have to pull the goalie. It's going to be a mess. And then you turn it back on in the second period, and things start to turn around little by little. And that's a big win for them to come back and do that against a, you know,
0: against their big rival. I did not know that these things were tracked, but they are actually the first team in NHL regular season history to fall behind three nothing in the first four minutes of game, not allow another goal, and come back to win ever in history. How do you how do you get that? Not not you, but like like no. what do you put into whatever you're searching
1: to get that stat? Like how do you do it? Oh, I follow lots of like stat accounts. Not on. you. Like like it, it amazes me that they're able to pull that kind of useless information up. and yes i said useless information
0: the coach called a timeout four minutes in uh they settled down claude Giroux had two goals and an assist it looked like he had three goals they'd credited another goal with him for a while it was the 45th game winner of his career in his five games back from having COVID 19 this is the second three-point game two goals and one assist uh good to see him playing well other games came from katoria and lawton Travis Connecticut back from his covid outing had nice two assists. to assist. Um he's been playing well. Brian Elliott gave up 3 early goals in 3 minutes and 57 seconds and then did not give up another on 26 additional shots. He's now 6-1-0 on the season. It's look, I still think that this team needs to work on their defense. They're allowing way too many shots and leaking oil. The, the opportunities that Elliott gave up, uh, they were not all his fault. And the, the turnovers and, and what happens in front of him is a challenge or in front of Carter Hart when he's in goal. But clearly, I mean, this, this is a, a, to use a lack of a better word, gritty team they, they oh, fight. come on that it was wasn't even too easy. Oh, yes, it was. No, it actually wasn't until All I right. realized I was saying it. And then I had to say lack of a better word. But the, <laughs> the, the fight in this team. I don't know if the Flyers of past years win that game last night. We've talked about that with the Sixers this year. Do the Sixers of past years win some of the games that they've won when it's gotten close? I don't think the Flyers of past seasons win that game last night.
1: Look, I think their coaching is so much better. Uh, I think the way that they're handling games is so much better. Taking a timeout in a first period it is not something you see very
0: often, and it worked, and that's what coaches should do. This is the most points for a Flyers team through 20 games since 2006. So, I mean, they've really they've got it Yep,
1: yeah, yeah, but yet they're only tied for third
0: place. Now, they've and played not, a lot less games. I think they've played three less games than the second-place team. And they're not playing their best hockey yet. So they've done this despite the fact that they really at times have, have looked sloppy out there and looked lost at times for stretches. Well, they better get it together because they're going to be playing a lot of games versus the
1: Islanders coming up too. A couple the weeks, Islanders, I think they have three games against the Islanders. I think they have a couple games against the Capitals. They, they need to kick it into gear. Now's the time to do it if they want to make a run. It's the Bruins
0: that give them problems. One concern, Joel <laughs> Farabee added to the COVID list this week. Your your highest point score played well. Uh, obviously you know, you wonder about any further exposure out there when you're in this situation, but he's the only one on the COVID list right now. Um, But that is, that's something to watch, you know, having your, having your top guy there.
1: Does it worry you that the flyers seem to just keep getting snake bitten by the virus? Like how, what are they doing wrong that,
0: that all of these guys keep ending up on the list? I don't know. Uh, and it, it's it concerning be, to me it, and it's not that necessarily all of them may be getting it. It may be exposure to people. So we don't know. That's the the mystery around this sometimes because it's a health issue. You don't know for sure. Uh, our trustee producer points out that they are 12, two and one against anyone not named Boston. Only problem is you're going to have to play Boston at some point. So <laughs> Jeff, it's, are you confident in this flyers team in the East right now? in terms of where they are. No. Mm. I still need to see at least one move on defense. Do
1: you uh, do you have confidence that they will make a move on defense? <sighs> that I don't know. I don't I don't know if they're going to just hope that everybody comes back healthy and that everything's going to be okay or whether or not they're going to make a move. I mean, look, we've had a couple guys on we had Charlie on a couple weeks ago. He thinks they're going to make a move. I I, I I'm hoping they make a move. I don't think that they can go into the playoffs without with just standing pat and saying, well, we didn't have our whole team because we had COVID issues. I don't think that works.
0: This uh, for the Flyers and Sixers, they will be allowed 15% indoor attendance. Now that means about 3,100 fans per game. For the Phillies outdoors, that number is about 8,800 in terms of what they'll be allowed 20% Mm -hmm. per game.
1: Yeah, to start. To start. Yeah, so they're going to go month month to month. So somebody who's a season ticket holder for some of this or know people that are, the way that it's working is that each month they're going to they're going to offer tickets and then people based on priority, if they're season ticket holders, will get first access and then there'll be regular season ticket or regular game tickets. So people are going to get a chance to go. The question is is and this is what worries me these people that are the secondary market. I was just going to ask. And, and, and it, we have to, they have to make
0: sure this doesn't happen. I've got ticket prices. Look, you know, something's wrong when a raise Marlins ticket is $213.
1: Okay. But here, here's, here's what we, everybody needs to know. Nobody has their tickets yet. Okay. So even if you're a season ticket holder, you don't have your tickets. You are not guaranteed. Like I have, I have a 20 game plan even though I have it, it doesn't matter. I have to go on and next week I have to try to get tickets for games, not any games that I thought I was going to have. So for, for most people, you, if you're buying tickets on the secondary market, you better beware because
0: the, those tickets may not be tickets that are going to be used during a game. Well, and I mean, right now, if you look at StubHub, uh, it's five hundred and twenty-three dollars per ticket for the Phillies Braves opening day matchup. So, but they're not the only ones. Look, Blue Jays Yankees starting at four hundred and twenty-two dollars as of the other day. Diamondbacks. at Padres. Wait,
1: where are the Blue Jays playing this year?
0: Well, that are they game playing in Toronto. Yanke- that game will be at Yankee Stadium. But, but I don't wh- know where. So, where are the Blue Jays playing? They can't it's possibly probably. be playing in Toronto. No, I wouldn't think so. Maybe in Buffalo. I don't know. Or are they going to stay would... down?
1: Well, their, their spring training is in Dunedin, but I can't imagine that they're going
0: to be playing at their spring training site, right? You want to hear the the craziest ticket price? Go. Diamondbacks Padres, $950 a ticket. At San Diego? At San Diego.
1: They're on the, Is that on the secondary market or are they charging that per ticket? Because they, they're going to have to f- find a way to pay for Tatis.
0: <laughs> they will have to do that, but <laughs> no, that's on StubHub. Yeah, uh, Pirates, Cubs, $427, and Orioles, Red Sox, $379. So if you want to see some baseball in the major leagues, seems like you're going to have to pony up a little bit to to get to a game. Jeff, you'll keep us updated on your ticketing experience. Why don't you I welcome you you more information next week? Why don't we uh, bring on Tom Hausnick from the morning call? Let's get a little baseball talk going on. Tom, how are you doing today, man?
2: Good, guys. How's everything there?
0: Anytime that we can talk baseball, Jeff's face lights up and he gets really happy. So Jeff's, Jeff's happy right now. <laughs> even right. though it's freezing outside. It is slightly cold out. Say, it,
2: my daughter of to school is freezing is right. I, look, I was warmed up
0: today watching Bryce Harper step in the box and blast a two-run home run right at the start, his, his first thing that he did. What's your observation so far of what you've seen in spring training? And then we'll get to maybe some specific players and questions.
2: Well, I just think there's just a breath of fresh air, not only because you know there's the chance that fans are going to be at Citizens Bank Park this year, but I just think with the roster re- makeup, especially in the bullpen, um, the health, and the re-signing of JT Realmuto, there's just a lot of optimism floating around, and I think uh, it's been good to see. I think you know, obviously Harper has a way of just making everything good as soon as he shows up, and now he's you know he gets a start today and you know, he homers right away, so. You're never going to have to worry about that guy's effort or performance. Um, I just think that right now everything is good. And, again, we're a week into the spring training games. Uh, things are always good for everybody, I guess. But I think it's particularly after the way everybody left last season, things could be much better.
1: As you said, Bryce has now come into spring training, and today he launched a home run. Um, what do you think about Now that we've had Bryce for, for what, a year, year and a half, uh, what, is, what do you think about Bryce's impact on the younger players?
2: I, well, for sure, they listen to him. So I think he recognizes that fact and, and, and acts and, and per, you know, not only performs accordingly, but he, the guy goes about his business every day uh, the way he should because everybody in that clubhouse is watching him, not just the young guys who are up there for the first time, not just the Bryce and Stott who you know, clearly looks up to him as much as anybody can look up to another baseball player. Um, it's important that he does everything the right way, that not only just does he handle himself on the field, but it's in the clubhouse, it's with the media. um, It's it's every word he says. These guys are hanging on his every word, and they look up to him in every way. And it's really important that he kind of does things, not only the right way, but just the way he communicates it with them. Uh, And so much of that can be unsaid. You know, again, going about your business, you know, four hours before a game, nobody's watching except, you know, a Bryson Todd or uh, one of you know, these young guys who are not going to be with the club this year, but you know, they're in they're in camp for a little while. They're going to they're going to watch everything he does, and it's important that at every step is it's not perfect, but it's just it's just done the right way. Obviously he's not he's going to fail. Um, baseball is a game of failure, but he finds a way to reach these guys with whatever he says, but also with the way he pre- the way he prepares and the way he uh, he takes care of his body in the off season, the way he pre- plays every day hard as if it's the last game of the season. And that's, those are those are critical things I think for a young guy to see.
1: One of, the, one of the guys, that one of the young guys that's getting a little look early on spring training is Mickey Moniac. You've had a chance to see him up close uh, as he's gone up the ladder. What have you seen about of Mickey Moniac, you know, when you saw him in the minors and what you're seeing at least early on in spring training?
2: Well, first, he's one of those guys who you, you can tell knows how to play the game. I mean, there are guys, young guys with a lot of talent, with a lot of star power who don't really understand all the fine points of the game. Mickey clearly has that on his side. Um, his work ethic is not in question. You know, he's the first one in the batting cage uh, routinely every day to try and work on things, probably to a fault because we've seen his body kind of just wear down physically uh, the last couple of minor league seasons. So uh, I'm sure he's worked on that. And, again, his body is still filling out. I mean, he was such a you know, pimple-faced kid when they signed him. And, and he's done nothing but – take steps forward every every year, and I think it's important that he recognize that um, because he is very hard on himself. But again, I've, I like the way he plays defense. Uh, that's definitely improved as he's gotten older. Um, he's gotten smarter at the plate, uh, recognizing what pitchers are trying to do to him, understanding situations. Um, again, it's not happening as fast as everybody wants you know, with a number one, but it's hap- you know, he's moving forward, and I think that's a good sign for the phillies for sure and again his confidence is is intact and that's that's obviously very important too for for his psyche
0: i just remember when we sat with him god it might be two years ago now with the pandemic but he was saying he still got physical growing pains like physical pain from growing uh each year and so he was trying to you know figure out what his body was going to be and how he was going to go through this all but but you're right his attitude doesn't seem to have been dissuaded by the challenges and struggles that he faced. I did want to ask you about the pitching, Um, your thoughts, obviously that was the Achilles heel last year. If They could have had a couple of leads with the bullpen, a couple of better starts. They'd have been about been in much better place. Your thoughts on the pitching, particularly Spencer Howard and what you expect to see out of him this season as somebody who's seen him a lot up close.
2: He, if his, if his body does not fail him, his arm, his shoulder is fine. I think we're going to see big, big strides from him. Uh, obviously, last year was a challenge in a lot of ways for him, particularly with that with that kind of crazy season and then being you know put into put into the spotlight like that to, to pitch at the major league level. I would have loved to have seen him, you know, just spend three months in a regular minor league season before he got the call. To, uh, obviously, he didn't have a lot of starts in the minor leagues, but every time he did, he was you just saw something that was like, wow, this kid has stuff. Um, and again, he's he's still a you know, a rock talent because he has, you know, he pitched so little uh, in high school and college leading up to becoming a professional. And here we are, you know, only a few years into his professional career. And there's a lot there. Um, His fastball just, you know, can really jump on you. Uh, We saw some of that um, so far in spring training where he's, you know, he's reached 96, 97, where he was pretty much sitting. Most of the time he was in Double A Reading a couple of years ago. The, The kid has Kind of a poise that you just don't expect from somebody who has so little professional experience. He, you know, nothing seems to fluster him on the mound. Although I'm sure at times he went back last year and said, "Man, I wish I reacted better to, you know, whether it was giving up a first inning home run or you know, a couple of runs early, or a mistake was made behind him that led to a bigger inning." Uh, those are all growing pains, but this—he has the tools to be. A number one or a number two very soon, and if he can give him five, six innings, obviously that was a, you know, a big problem last year. He what averaged four innings per start. Um, if he can, if he can up that an inning or two this year, that would be uh, definitely progress. And again, getting one, two, three innings will definitely help that. Getting your pitch count you know, under control, learn how to be efficient with that, and putting guys away with maybe your second or third pitch instead of always trying to either overpower them or just trying to force things. But again, I'm I'm very optimistic about him if he's healthy that he's going to he's going to be a uh, he's going to be part of that rotation for the season all
1: right so let's assume that he's part of the rotation that means you have wheeler nola howard efflin there's about eight guys in spring training right now that all could have that fifth spot unless that fifth spot goes to yeah i'm gonna say it vinny velasquez what (laughs) what are the chances that vinny velasquez finally goes to the bullpen or, or do one of these eight to a dozen guys somehow jump ahead and, and become
2: that fifth starter? You don't want to say that guys are cheering for Matt Moore to kind of be that guy to kind of resurrect his career. But I think the Phillies are hoping that he kind of is the guy that he was a few years ago. You know, he's not going to have that electric you know, fastball arm that he that he, that he showed with the race. But I think best case scenario is somebody like him works out as the number five velasquez can make the transition to the bullpen because again they're going to be games where the starter doesn't go the distance and then he's going to be able to to fill that hole Uh, i think that's best for both parties in the long run i really do velasquez is a heck of an athlete he can probably play the outfield if he ever put his mind to it you know with a a a year of, of working on that aspect but again i think he's had his chances um they, you know, they pulled the plug quick on, on Pavetta, which was was good for all involved and in, in shipping him out. And I just think they're, they're, they're just a, they're, they might be afraid the fact that they're they're leaving a guy out there that that the electricity is there every once in a while. It teases you. It's like, okay, that's the guy. Now if he can do it the next start. And then what happens the next start? It's back to 60 pitches, three innings, four runs, five hits, a couple of walks. It's, it's kind of maddening to watch. And I'm sure as a pitching coach or a manager, it, it, it can be difficult knowing how much you've invested and knowing that, I think everybody likes Velasquez. He, he's not a guy who doesn't work hard. He's not a guy who just you know is kind of a bum. He's not. He's everybody cheers for the guy. Uh, so it's hard to kind of say, look, this starting position is not for you. We've got some other guys here. We're going to give them the chance, and that's what I'd rather see them do now. With you know almost a month left of spring training, say, look, you're going to work out of the bullpen. You're going to get a lot of work. It's going to be anywhere from you know third, fourth inning of a bad start to maybe a sixth or seventh inning spot. And you're going to get you're going to get your work in and just move forward from that. Kind of make that decision, knowing that you have so many other guys that you can choose from to give you that fifth starter. And maybe even you have six guys for a while. I know Girardi you know, was, was asked about that uh, early in spring training, about maybe a six man rotation for a little while. And maybe that works. But I still think even if you have that, Velasquez can't be one of those six. That's just my opinion based on what, what everybody's seen
0: from him in the last three years. Selfishly, it's best for me if Velasquez is in the bullpen, because it means that Jeff won't be texting me on the second time through the rotation, it doesn't go quite as well as it did the first time around there. Uh, (laughs) I did want to ask you before we let you go, uh, obvious little disappointment out in uh, baseball town out with the Iron Pigs out there uh, delay at the start of the season. Uh, your, your thoughts on the pushback for a month for the Iron Pigs. Yes, Jeff, I screwed up and said baseball town. I got reading confused for a second with Bacon USA. How dare I? Tom, you can correct me. And uh, what's the feel out there? Obviously, you know, they're they're hoping to get some fans in the stands and excited to get back to baseball. But what's the feel out there for the Iron Pigs?
2: Well, there's no doubt this this area has really embraced the franchise. Um, since it debuted in 2008 fans have come out attendance has not dipped you know if if it's you know it's minimal if at all in, in the 13 years and that, that's saying a lot for a minor league franchise that um again had a, had a beautiful ballpark to start they've always upgraded it uh, the prices have been reasonable uh, so fans have fans have been consistently turned out turning out for to see you know the next star whether you know it's Aaron Nola who's here for just a handful of starts or Spencer Howard who you can only see because he's in the, the taxi squad group or whatever but again that this, this is a big baseball area um, people do make the trip to you know to baseball town if they had to uh, to see a guy but everybody likes having having uh, seeing these these next stars right here and I think Bryson Scott will be one that everybody will be excited to see at some point um, again you get tired of you know, you know you're going to see the vet you know, those, those those veterans trying to hang on to a bench spot or fight for a bench spot or re- reclaim that youth but um, ultimately what brings the fans out here for baseball reasons is to see that next star and you know after a year off last year like it like it went uh i had imagine that the crowds this year will probably uh, rival something of 2008 or 2009 where there were sellouts pretty much uh, most nights um, again 35 degrees outside now it makes the wind makes it feel like about 20 so it seems like it's far away and now with that pushback month um it probably seems even farther but uh as long as they know that there's there's something at the end of the tunnel that they're going to let you know even even if they let in five or six thousand fans that would be a that would be a huge huge step for the franchise huge step for the area to see some some pro baseball
1: The minor leagues is about development and the Phillies have just announced that Gary Jones is coming back to, to manage the iron pigs. What have you observed of Gary Jones and the way that he helps these players develop and make it through the big leagues? Uh,
2: I would describe him as a traffic cop. Um, he lets his coaches do what they have to do with the specifics, whether it's, you know, with the pitchers or the, you know, the, the, uh, the hitters, um, he's there to step on somebody's. Throat if they get out of line, if they're not working the way they should. Um, He just has that quiet demeanor about him most times, but you can tell when you piss him off. And, uh, you know, if you're not playing hard, you're going to find out real quick what Gary thinks about it. And uh, that's basically what he's there for, all right? Just to make sure that everybody's doing the work they should be doing, that they're putting in the time, they're doing things the right way, and that nobody's being a jerk in the clubhouse. He's had a couple of good clubhouses the previous two years before last year. um, We're, you know, he doesn't have to babysit anybody or any group, but you know he he's had some guys uh, over the course of those you know, what three years that he's had to uh, had to get on some people and he's done it. Um, that's that's basically what what, what he's there for. Um, you know, Dusty Watson was was probably more hands-on when he was there for the one year before he got promoted um, because he he took more on with his position. You know, he took on uh, the catchers that were there at the time, and Alfaro and uh, and Knapp were there. Um, so you would see him out there at two o'clock doing more hands-on things than, than maybe Gary does you know Gary's big thing is, is, is infield defense so if you're going to see him out with a group of guys that, you know four hours before first pitch it's, that's what it's going to be he's going to be working on some defense and they you know they spent some long some long hours leading up to game time working on defense if it hasn't been up to up to his standards so I think he's the right guy for the spot um, he gets along with everybody he just has a nice, easy demeanor so there's no stress involved it's not like you know, it's a, it's a tough environment to, to be around in for some of these young guys who are, who are going to get up there pretty fast. And obviously everybody's looking for them to make the next step. But, uh, you know, Gary's a, Gary's a good guy, good guy for the role. He's, not, he's a man of few words to the media. Um, but he's always been a professional to everybody who's, who's uh, had to work with him, whether it's, whether it's us or uh, guys making their first trip to AAA or a guy getting sent down to rehab. And uh, you know, he's been a pretty good guy to deal with, and uh, that's why he's back for a fourth year.
0: Well, <clears throat> we encourage everybody to read your work in the morning call, follow you on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle so they can follow your stories. It's that Tom Hausnick. We encourage everybody to check that out and can't wait to see you back out at the stadium one day soon, uh, covering the game you love. Thanks so much for the time. We look forward to talking to you soon, ma'am.
2: My pleasure, guys. Take care and stay warm.
0: Stay warm, Jeff. That's right. Do you feel warmer talking baseball? Well, I I
1: feel warm because I'm inside right now, but, but, you know, look, it's, it's spring, but that's one of the reasons spring training is so great is because it reminds you that spring is literally around the corner that even, even though you're watching the games and you're freezing your butt off, it's, it's about to get warm and you're about to be able to go see the players that you want to go see. I mean, to me, one of the things that I, that Tom said that kind of excited me is the possibility of Bryson Stott being a AAA this year. Um, he, he was one of their top prospect draft picks from a few years ago, a kid out of Vegas plays shortstop. Who knows if he's going to stick at shortstop or whether he's going to end up at second or third. Um, but he's a guy that, that works hard. We had a chance to talk to him a few years ago. Um, he's a guy that I'm looking forward to, to see. Um, and I like the fact that he's kind of, he's kind of being the little brother to, to Bryce Harper right now. And if you're going to learn from somebody. He's the guy. I mean, I don't know about you, but when Bryce Harper was with the Nationals, I couldn't stand him, and I thought he was full of himself. And I just didn't, you know, my perception of him was probably the same as most people outside of Washington. And he has come here, and he has been everything and more to this organization and to the city. So, I mean, even today, if you saw like the the stuff he's doing, that he he had a shirt on that said something Wooder clear water. Uh, you know, like he's, he's even like going towards the, uh, the Phil, the, all the Philly stuff, the thing he does with the fanatic, the things he does in the community. And most importantly, what he's doing, how hard he's working and, and the example he's setting for the young players.
0: Can he pitch?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you got, you got 19, 20, 50 pitchers here. I mean, do we really need another pitcher?
0: So last season they used twenty nine pitchers in sixty games with ten different starting pitchers appearing in a short they might, season. They might use that in, in April, like that's and and they're kind of doubling down on that strategy, bringing in a bunch of unproven or arms. Well, no, that's not true. They,
1: these struggle. are guys, but that's not true. They they're brought in guys that that are proven but have fallen off. Yeah. Matt Moore was a guy that if you would have told me two three years ago we were going to get him. Oh, yeah, I would want him. Uh, even Novo is a guy. Chase Anderson had a good couple innings today. But, you know, last year, he was over a 70 RA. So I don't know if any of these guys have anything left in the tank. But at one point, they were guys that I would want here. Just not now.
0: They, they Look, you'll have to see whether it works out. At least they've got more depth in here now. It seems like they have some more hard throwers. Uh, you brought up Mickey Moniak, and we have been defenders of him for a while. Not necessarily of him, just of you know patience in a young kid developing the process. Yeah, and I know that you were excited yesterday when he hit his two home runs, or the day before. I, I lose track of days right now. He uh, he's basically put on an extra ten pounds and looks like a different player out there he does but
1: you but but we said that last year too i mean the thing about him is as you mentioned when we were talking to tom is he was going through physical growing pains it wasn't just that he was growing his bones were hurting his joints were hurting because he was you know when he was drafted he was one of the few guys in the first couple rounds that came right out of high school he was one of the younger players that was coming from the u.s and he was a stick and you know there's a lot of guessing and projections and kind of doing things. And the Phillies had the confidence to be patient. Do I think that he is ever going to be the number one pick in the draft? Wow. This guy is the next bright thing. No, I don't think that's the case, but can he be a a good player to above average player who can play a really good outfield as well? Yeah. And, And the question is whether or not he'll ever get the opportunity here to be accepted or whether or not Philadelphia fans will always sit there and say he was the number one pick in the draft. And as such, he needed to be Bryce Harper. He needed to be Fernando Tatis. He needed to be that level in order to be accepted. And he needed to be that level at 19 years old. Here, Here's what I do want it to happen. I would rather him play center field than
0: Odubel Herrera. Look, I know your feelings. We've we've made our feelings known. I, I would prefer he's not on the roster. He's playing the way he is. He's going to be on the roster. Uh, you, people are just going to have to kind of get used to that factor. Everybody can decide for themselves how they want to handle it. If they want to root for the team, if they want to cheer for him, they don't want to do either. But it it seems like you know Adam Hazley with you know pulled these out for today, four weeks. Out for four weeks. Mm-hmm. Roman Quinn, although plays well at time, I don't think they have faith in him and confidence that he can stay healthy out there. And frankly, Adubel's played well back here. His, his question was well, never it was one play. or two games. His question wasn't his play, though. He had talent at the time. It was that he wasn't always focused with that talent and then everything that happened off the field. And I don't think that you can downplay the domestic allegations that were made against him. And, and he can be out there saying that his wife has forgiven him That's on her. The fans don't have to do that. Well, I don't even think it's a question of forgiveness. It's a question of glorification. And and
1: you know what? I don't want to see is—I mean, I personally, I don't want to cheer for somebody like that. It's just me. Uh, But what I don't want to see is I don't want to see kids wearing his jersey. Uh, You know that I. You know we've we've talked about this on the show in past years. I just wish that that major league baseball and all of these sports that if they're going to allow these guys second, third and fourth chances that the one thing the, the one of the sanctions can be you know what your jersey cannot be sold we are not going to sanction you being a role model okay you want a second chance we'll give you that second chance but we're not going to we're not going to sit there and glorify you and have little kids walking around with your jersey and i don't understand why the, the leagues can't do that I mean, they can if they want to. I don't know why they haven't haven't implemented something that is, it's it's a middle ground that kind of makes you less squeamish when you're out there.
0: Okay, I think that the Phillies are preparing everybody for that he will be on the team. He's out talking to the media. He's talking to the teammates. I think he's doing everything for them to say, look, he was the best player at the position and therefore he's going to be on the roster. All so right, we'll, we'll, get, we'll see what happens. Well, well, guess what comes
1: up starting next week? actually, it already started. What? Basketball, tournaments, college, all over the place, game after game after game. So I'd say we hit the break, and when we get back, we talk to Seth Greenberg.
0: Let's do that. Let's go to break. Operating engineers are the men and
1: women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm. And even building our favorite team stadium, we understand infrastructure. That's why Elac and Local 825 are ready to get to work.
0: Look at you, Jeff, doing the Michigan in the background on the video. See, people need to watch the live stream. Just so wait. They
1: can- what do you mean in the background? I don't have Michigan in the background. I'm wearing a Michigan basketball shirt.
0: Yeah, but you're out there like making your little cheers and stuff. Oh, that was the YMCA thing. I'm not doing Rutgers cheers yeah. right now because Rutgers is Rutgersing.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, so here's the big problem for you, and I, I think I, t- I might have texted you this in a moment of mean spiritedness. Um, did did, 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 I, did I mention something about you know the NIT is is reducing its numbers to sixteen, and that might hurt Rutgers' ch- chance of making the NIT?
0: I believe your exact text was Rutgers may be, be on the NIT bubble. Thanks appreciate that. Way way to be there for a, a co-host. I missed my opportunity you, last year. And you
1: had you know, you know like they say hope springs eternal. You were the way I talk about spring training was the way you were talking about Rutgers. And and then all and you were talking Big 10 title and they're going to make the tournament this year. and All that stuff and now it's it's bubble city for the NIT.
0: Yeah, we'll see what ends up happening while we wait to try and get Seth. Let's let's keep talking a little college basketball and tournament and what's going to happen. Just not Rutgers. Just not Rutgers. Right. OK. So we're getting to that time where it's postseason basketball conference tournaments. The conference tournaments begin this year. Thirty one conferences are going to hold their tournaments. The Ivy League will not. Uh, you believe that the best conference in uh, college basketball right now is Big Ten, correct? It's
1: not even close. I mean, you have four teams in the top 10.
0: And they have Rutgers.
1: Come on. Uh, Look, fantasy time is over, okay? (laughs) Yeah, you can sprinkle as much little magic dust as you want over New Brunswick. They're not making the tournament. and The the only way Rutgers makes the tournament at this point is by winning the Big Ten, which is not going to happen.
0: Maybe there'll be a COVID replacement team, Jeff.
1: You know, you know what the real problem is, at least in this city, is that we have all of these good coaches. And and unfortunately, this has been a down year for the, the coaches, because other than Jay Wright in Villanova, I'm not sure whether or not uh, any of the other teams can make it unless they win their conference tournament.
0: No, it, it seems like and with Jay Wright, I mean, they lost Colin Gillespie the other night. So, you know, who knows in terms that's a huge injury with, with his knee being out. They, your thoughts on the NCAA's plan for a, for COVID replacements if teams need to withdraw? Yeah, and what is that plan? So they would replace any team with the conferences. It's so muddled. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Is this before the
1: tournament starts or mid-tournament?
0: I'm going to bring on Seth Greenberg so that he can explain the tournament, and I cannot sound foolish. ESPN, Seth Greenberg, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes. How you doing, sir?
3: Doing great. How you guys doing?
0: Uh, it's my favorite time of year. Uh, I, I love this time of year with everything. But before we get to- Even though you're confused. Even though I'm confused. Right, okay. I'm, I'm a Rutgers grad, Seth. So I get confused okay. every every year at this time of year. But <laughs> you know, before we get to it uh, on the court, we wanted to talk a little bit about what you're doing off the court. You're going to be one of the special guests at the American Cancer Society Coaches versus Cancer Tourney Tip-Off Breakfast that's happening March 15th and March 16th talked a lot with the coaches here in philadelphia about coaches versus cancer can you talk about your involvement and what it means to you
3: yeah well i've always been involved with coaches versus cancer they've done a number of different golf events uh uh, in the springtime which i've participated in and helped them secure groups my dad passed of cancer uh when i was the head coach of virginia Tech. my wife oversaw a pink ribbon luncheon for the american cancer society which we tried to help uh spend some of that money to Coaches versus Cancer. So, look, it's just something that's just so, so important. Uh, You know, obviously, with the pandemic and everything else that's gone on, uh, everything's taken a backseat to to the pandemic. But now uh, we've got to get back into hopefully living our lives now that a vaccine is available and hopefully distributed in a fairly expeditious way, and, uh, you know, being involved with this program, which is such a great program, the the Philadelphia Coaches Coaches vs. Cancer Program is one of the best in the country. It's got an incredible tradition. Uh, I say the tradition rivals the tradition of the palestra in a lot of ways, uh, because the great thing about Philadelphia basketball is it's a family, it's a community, and let's face it, uh, the dreaded disease of cancer uh, impacts families it impacts communities and it takes a, it takes a community to fight this thing and hopefully eventually find a cure. So it's a great organization. Uh, I'm proud to be part of it. I have so much respect for the coaches in the Philadelphia area. Um, most of them are very dear friends. And uh, when they asked me to be involved, I was honored to be involved.
1: Seth, we've talked to all of the coaches in the Philly six this year about the coaches versus cancer and, and the way that they, they act off the court uh, as somebody that is that coach for a long time and is part of this community what is it like to be part of this? It's almost like a fraternity that you guys compete when you're on the court and you compete hard. And then once those games are over, you come together for community events and helping your student athletes. What's it like to be part of that fraternity?
3: Well, it's huge. I mean, like, look, competition is one thing. It's, it, it's what we do. It's not who we are. I mean, like, you would think that if you're in coaching that you're a compassionate individual that wants to help others. I mean, that's what coaching is all about, helping someone get somewhere they can't get themselves. Uh, you know, Jimmy V back in the day in the V Foundation, uh, you know, basically stated, you know, never give up and think about all the success that organization has had, but uh, look, you can compete like hell, you can compete in recruiting, you can compete on the court, all that stuff is great, but you also have to live your life, you also have to be a human being. And, you know, the most important thing, especially in the society we live in today, is if everyone decided to try to do something to help someone else, imagine how much better our world would be. So... Uh, Ball and coaching and, and competition is one thing, but we're all on the same team in this. And the, and the idea is there's also strength in numbers. Uh, and this disease is so hideous uh, that we need strength in numbers and we need to come together and we need uh, to use our contacts uh, and our, you know, our quote unquote, and I use it obviously not in the vein that people might interpret it, our celebrity to help partner with others that can help us in the fight against cancer. So, uh, you know, Philadelphia's got such a rich tradition, but the one thing that Philadelphia coaches have always had, going back to Dr. Jack Ramsey uh, through roller Master, I mean, they, they've had respect for each other and respect for trying to do good things and uh, and to make it impact in the community. And, uh, you know, the coaches there have uh, continued to move on with that. I mean, you think about the great tradition of Philadelphia Bass Coach line' mean, and Dunst and, Bob Weiner back in the day and, you know, all, you know, Coach Bass and, you know, obviously, you know, what Jay's doing and just, you know, right across the board, you know, Speedy. And I mean, it's, it's always been uh, a healthy respect for the other guy. And I think that's what makes Philly special.
0: You know, you mentioned Jay, he's one of the guys that you'll be there at the event with conference 20s underway selection Sunday coming, What's uh, Jay's prospects look like with Villanova? They had a tough injury the other night with Colin Gillespie. What do you think about them headed into the tourney?
3: Yeah, I'm actually talking about that on on Game Day tomorrow. It it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart uh, to see Colin, who's given so much. I actually sent Jay a text message yesterday saying, I admire him. I admire Colin Gillespie. I admire his leadership. I admire his toughness. I admire his passion. I admire how he plays the game. How he, He earned his way to where he is today. Nothing was given. Everything was earned. Uh, You know, he came in as a recruit that maybe a lot of people thought wasn't good enough. I I still remember uh, talking to the great, great great buddy Gardler, who uh, told me, I'm telling you, the kid can play. He'll figure out a way to get on the court. He he more than got on the court. So he's a hard guy to replace. He's the heart and soul of that team. Uh, Now all of a sudden, you're going to have to, you know, Justin Moore's going to have to change his position. Uh, Maybe uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl's going to have to handle the ball. Uh, They're going to be harder to defend, uh, easier to defend. I mean, when when Jay would post him up and then he'd wait for a double team and redirect the ball or score because he was so strong, uh, they're going to have to find different ways to uh, to win. But never bet against Jay Wright. Uh, You know, I mean, they've got an incredible culture and an identity. And, uh, you know, that that attitude thing is real. It's real. It's not just a book. It's real.
0: Well, we'll definitely have to watch for more insight on game day for sure. You know, let, let's look at the overall tournament going into it. What are the teams you think that are sort of best built for this year's tournaments? And what are the sleepers that are going to make it that people don't expect or that are going to go further than anybody really thinks?
3: Yeah, I mean, the teams that, you know, obviously people like all season long, is undefeated. Baylor's got one loss. Michigan bounced back from their loss the other day, played at a high level, Ohio State. I would say if you advance teams from the Big 12 or the Big 10, you're in pretty good shape because uh, those two conferences have set themselves aside from others. Uh, they, they, they're just – the leagues are playing at a very, very high level of those two conferences. So if you go into those two conferences and then outside those conferences, Alabama's got a unique playing style. Uh, they're not obviously uh, Nick Saban's Alabama Crimson Tide, uh, but they're interesting because they shoot a shot every 14 seconds. They shoot about 45% of their shots from the three. They're an interesting team uh, to watch. Uh, Arkansas from uh, that same conference, the SEC. I think Eric Musselman's done a great job. He's got a kid, Moses Moody, a freshman who's phenomenal. Uh, Justin Smith, a transfer from Indiana, who's just a hard-playing guy. They play really fast as well, and uh, they're hard to match up with. So out of that conference, they're really good. In the Pac-12, the USC is, Interesting. They're the longest team in America, uh, and they've got a lottery pick in Evan Mobley. Uh, their guard play has improved uh, significantly. Uh, I think they're a team that will be uh, interesting to watch. Colorado, from the same conference, has a great leader in McKinley Wright, uh, a really good coach in Tad Boyle. Uh, you know, I like I like their team uh, a lot. I think Pat does a really, really just a, an outstanding job. Uh, Get those guys to play physical, tough, uh, winning basketball. Some people like Houston because they rebound it and really defend. And Quentin Grimes has played really well. There's good a rebounding teamers in the country. they they're out of the American Conference. Uh, so there's just there's a lot of good teams. It's a you know after you get through those first three, you know you can go down into you know you could throw West Virginia in there as a team that can get to the Final Four. You could you know throw in o- Oklahoma State with Kate Cunningham as a team that can get to the final four, you could go into the big 10 and, you know, say whether it's, you know, Purdue or, uh, you know, Ohio state or Illinois who had a great win the other day against Michigan. So there's just a lot of good teams, uh, this year. I'm not sure there's, you know, there's two great ones or three great ones, but there's a lot of good teams.
1: So you mentioned that you're doing college game day tomorrow. The fans always hold up signs. I don't know how you concentrate with all those fans fans holding up all the signs, but I got to ask you, of all the signs that you have seen, what is the most amusing or funny one that's ever been directed to you?
3: Well, we're not in the arenas this year, so we have virtual fans, but the funniest is when people, and it was the same funny one that when I was coaching, they put up a picture of Uncle Fester and then put up a picture of me and darkened my eyes and, uh, you know, Think that I look like Uncle Fester? I'm much better looking than Uncle Fester. Although Uncle Fester's a nice guy, I'm sure. But I mean, so that's always one that I've gotten—I've gotten a chuckle, at, chuckle out of uh, all the time. Or the—you know—obviously just the typical ignorant statements that you get, which is—is is a joke. I like when people say you couldn't coach. That's why you're on TV. I said, well, I was ACC coached you twice and have four wins against number one team in the country. Uh, so that's not that shabby. But uh, no, the Uncle Fester one is the funniest one.
0: I know that obviously it's a little different this year, but what's that like for you to be a part of that game day atmosphere? I mean, it, as a fan of watching it, it's, it's so much fun. The excitement, they have court shots, win money, all the different things you do, the depth of the quality of the pieces. What's it like to be a part of that for you?
3: Well, it's great. If I, if I'm not coaching. It's the closest thing I get to being in the arena, talking to coaches, going to practices. Uh, you know, we, we pick, you know, feel that we do uh, you know, a really good job of being the voice of college basketball and the you know, the people that do the features, well, look, I have an easy job. I answer Reese Davis's questions. You know, I mean, that's not hard. Reese Davis, the producers, the directors, uh, the researchers, uh, all the people behind the cameras and all that. Those are the people that make our shows go. I mean, I, I, I've been talking ball my whole life. It's all the other people that make this thing happen that really make the show special.
0: Well, we thank you for the time. Thank you for everything you do with Coaches versus Cancer. We encourage everybody to get some more information about the 20 tip-off breakfast. Catch Seth on your TV for College gay. Follow him, Seth on Hoops on Twitter. Seth, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes and previewing everything going on and for the work you're doing, too.
3: Thank you very much. You guys stay safe.
0: Jeff, another great example of what you can do with the platform given not just him as a tv personality but what he's doing with coaches versus cancer what he did when he was a coach himself before he was a media member Uh, just great to continue to see that And, and again it's another coach that talks about the impact that it has on them as much as the impact they can have on others when they participate in this effort you're on mute jeff you should unmute yourself are you sure you want me to unmute myself? No, not really. You could stay. Oh, th- it, exactly. You'd learn about through the show by now. So, you know, one of those things. But <laughs> what, what? People can't read my lips. Producer uh, was ready to jump on and fill <laughs> in if you weren't going to come <laughs> off a <laughs> mute there. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, the, 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 back back to the coaches versus cancer for a minute. It is it, it is an amazing event. It's amazing what they've done. You know, we've talked to all the coaches, we've talked to Phil, Markell, to our, Mar, Phil Martelli and Fran Dumpy. I know it's Friday. I can't speak either. Um, about the work that they're all doing and and the good work that they're doing for the community and how they all come together, it it, it is amazing to see how they're able to do this. And Seth Greenberg is just another guy who's he's coming into the city, he's helping with this event, uh, and they're going to raise a lot of money for it. And by the way, you know, for people that don't know, Seth Greenberg was a was a damn good coach for a long time. I mean, he coached for two decades, and he's right. I mean, when he was a, when you think of Virginia Tech. Do you think Virginia Tech is ever going to win the ACC when you have Duke, when you have North Carolina, when you have the quality of those teams?
0: No, but I will say that those were in the days when I may have placed the occasional wager on a game. And so I yeah. was paying attention to what Seth Greenberg and Virginia Tech were doing at that time in my life. Yeah, I mean,
1: how many coaches <laughs> can say they beat four, team, four number one teams So they were number one at the time that you played them?
0: at that time they had frank beamer and Seth greenberg as their coaches look i i wish
1: we had more time for because if people remember the name greenberg in philadelphia his brother was a coach uh, i mean was was involved in in the front office of the sixers when they drafted alan iverson
0: yeah there's plenty that we could have gone and asked yeah. out there jeff we're under 10 minutes let's let's keep the basketball talk going but let's talk a little Sixers. They're 24 and 12 at the break, half game up on the Nets for first place in the East. They dug deep the other night for maybe what's been their best win of the season, uh 131-123 over the Jazz. We saw that game saw everything. Embiid with a crazy three-pointer to send it to overtime. Donovan Mitchell with multiple technical fouls to get ejected. Tobias Harris taking over in the overtime, outscoring the Jazz all by himself. Tell me what you saw in that game from this team. Can I can I just give a little shout out? I mean, I don't
1: normally do that kind of thing on this show, but can we give a shout out to Keith Pompey? Why? Come on. I mean, because uh, Joel Embiid, after that game, went into that press conference and, and, and was kind of ripping Keith for, for writing an accurate article about the number of games that Joel Embiid misses
0: against other good centers. Yeah, Joel was apparently motivated to go against Gobert by something Keith had said in one of his columns. I believe the quote from uh, Embiid was, first of all, according to Keith Pompey, according to him, I'm scared of Gobert and I'm scared of top center. So, I mean, as we saw tonight, it looks like I was very, very scared of him. So, yeah, keep talking.
1: Yeah, look, as far as I'm concerned, I think that he should
0: call everybody a bunch of scaredy cats and then maybe maybe they don't lose again. I mean. put up 40 points with 19 rebounds and three assists and two blocks in 40 minutes. Uh, it was a dominant performance from him. Look, it wasn't. Okay. But I got a question
1: for you. Okay. So now they, they just beat the number one team, right? Yes. In the entire league. Yes. Do you feel confident no. that they're one of the best teams in the
0: league? No. See, so th- isn't that, I, I, it, I don't it think is I amazing of, to me. I think they're one of the top three in the East, but I still right. think that Brooklyn and Milwaukee are up there with or above them. And look, I mean, I'll point to, yes, their bench pulled it out, but Danny Green continues to struggle, had three points on one for six shooting. At this point, they're going to shake Milton and Matisse Teibel late in the game, as opposed to him as an option. And they're not going
1: to, they're not going to Matisse for offense. They're going to Matisse for more defense. Matisse barely shoots the ball. He could be in there for 20, 20 plus minutes, and he still doesn't shoot the ball more than one or two times. If that. Sometimes he doesn't even get a shot off during the game.
0: I found it really encouraging. Tobias Harris finished the game with 22 points. 11 of them came in overtime. As I said, he outscored the Jazz, who only put up five points in overtime. He took over that game. The the Sixers found a mismatch on Bogdanovich, and he just made him look silly at times. And that's not a bad player that he was going against. And the Sixers just kept going back to it. Now, the Sixers won despite the fact that the Jazz scored 39 more points behind the arc, Utah shot 21 of 44 from three. The Sixers were eight of 25. Normally the Sixers don't win a game where they shoot eight of 25 from three. The recipe has been good three-point shooting, they win the game, bad three-point shooting, they don't win the game. And
1: yeah, can, can we Can we just remember what we were thinking before or the end of last season? What a disaster that was and how they have turned this around. I mean, we, we could have never expected based on the end of how last season un- unceremoniously ended, that this was going to happen. I still think that they need to find something better than green. I don't know what that is. Would Well, let me ask you a question. Would, do you want Blake Griffin? Because he's a free agent right now.
0: Looks like he's going to go to the Nets. So, I mean, it's not that Uh, I wouldn't be interested in the price. I don't know how he fits and where he plays. Does he play instead of a Danny Green? No, I don't
1: don't know. know. I saw saw a stat that he hadn't dunked like in in like almost a whole season. I mean, Blake Griffin was known for dunking, but he is not an above the rim player anymore, and he's not a great shooter. Uh, There's potentially P.J. Tucker out there too. No, no, I do not. No, I do not want P.J. Tucker. That That is not in any way the
0: answer to this problem.
1: So
3: then the question, becomes,
0: do you do a larger deal, a three-team deal where you try to land a Kyle Lowry and you move a Tyrese Maxey and somebody else in that deal and picks to different teams and do it that way? Is that kind of the route you end up going? You know, I was reticent to do a Kyle
1: Lowry deal, but the more and more I watch what Chris Paul is doing with Phoenix... It, it is convincing me that Kyle Lowry could do that to raise the game to the next level for the Sixers. Not only does he fit well because of his shooting and because of his playmaking and because he's already got a ring, but he also has the fact that he's a Philly guy. And him coming
0: back here is just going to be motivation on top of motivation. And he wants and, to be here. Yeah. And it and, seems like he wants to be here to play and that's something that you want. Yeah, so, so if if you tell
1: me you have to give up Matisse as much as I like Matisse, and I have to give up Maxi, and maybe I have to give up Paul Reed or another one of the guys I drafted this year, and that you have to give up a future first-round pick, I'm saying do it. Because if you get Lowry on this team and everybody stays healthy, I think this team
0: can compete for a championship. The way that Embiid is playing, I think the window becomes now. You have to take advantage of what he's doing on the court. Jeff, we've got three minutes left. First shout out to the blue coats who clinched their first ever playoff berth. The playoffs begin on March 8th for them in the bubble in the bubble. We'll be with, watching with no golf, with no golf. <laughs> uh, you're going to watch the all-star game this weekend. I don't know. I just, <laughs> it just seems so. <laughs> but Jeff, Adam yeah. Silver says it's a made for TV event for the fans. You're not. Okay. Maybe concerned. it's a
1: made for, it doesn't mean it's made for me to watch on TV. I mean, uh, Look, you you told me before the show started that you want you were excited about the three-point competition because nobody knows who the guys that are in the
0: dunk competition. In the slam dunk contest, which will be at halftime and will probably be like seven and a half minutes long. You've got Anthony Anthony Simmons of the Blazers, Cassius Stanley of the Pacers, and Obi Toppin of the Knicks. Can you imagine if they all miss their dunks? It's not quite Dominique Wilkins and Michael Jordan <laughs> and the guys that were in that. How I'm long is this, this? But the three-point contest is Devin Booker, Jalen mm-hmm. Brown, Steph Curry, Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell, and Jason Tatum. You got names there at least playing. That's not the slam yeah. dunk contest. Wait, and that's going to be before the game or after the game? The three-point contest and the skills challenge are before the game. Robert Covington, your boy, in the skills challenge. So, uh, Robert Covington, Luca Doncic, Chris Paul, Julius Randall. Sabonis and Vucevic will all be in the skills challenge. I don't have any faith that you will be watching this. Do you challenge.
1: realize the the dunk competition is what usually two hours long, and and they're gonna they're gonna spin it into seven minutes of of amazing television? Apparently, is does that mean we got no music halftime show? <laughs> I mean, this is a real bummer for me. Maybe that was going to be the big seller for me. Was to, maybe to they'll see play what,
0: music while they dunk. <laughs> Would you be in then if they if they had the musical guest and did that? Well, you know, well, you know what if like somebody jumps
1: over like Jay Z or somebody like that? I guess I guess that's a that's a thing while he's singing a
0: song. I guess that works, right? If I didn't even bring up Ben Simmons hit a three this week, do you care? <laughs> no, <laughs> could there have been no. a more meaningless three other than the gamblers who either? The game went over when that shot hit and was meaningless. Or have taken the over under on number of threes he will hit for the season.
1: Actually, it's frustrating to me because the only time he takes the shot is when it's meaningless, which means that it's still in his head. That's the big concern. I I don't care if he make if he doesn't make a lot of threes. I I get concerned that he's not willing to take them in certain situations. And 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 what you don't want to have is is a guy who's making max money. Who has that much potential who's not out of his own head
0: at this point in his career are you uh last where we got about 30 seconds are you just like all michiganed up right now are you all excited for the tourney is that I what's got going on michigan
1: i got my michigan basketball shirt on i'm ready to go i have no illusions that we're winning the championship but but hope
0: springs eternal for this number two seed <laughs> What can uh, I tell you? At least they'll be in the ruckers uh We'll see about that. Fifteen seconds. Any final thoughts before we go off the air, Jeff? If you like, I like, I will drop off a piece of Michigan stuff for you to wear, and
1: you can be an honorary fan this year.
0: No, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. How? Join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye
2: bye.